Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week's message is called, We Can Pray. Join Pastor Greg in Genesis 4. Genesis chapter 4. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about prayer. And the title of my message, as you can see, is, We Can Pray. We Can Pray. And uh, <clears throat> before I get into the message, I, uh, I wrote this this down on a sticky, and I want to want to actually pray before we talk about prayer, amen. And I wrote this down. Guy H. King years ago said, "No one is a firmer believer in the power of prayer than the devil himself." He said, "Not that he practices it, but that he suffers from it." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house again, and God, I thank you for the victories of yesterday, and God, how you blessed us. And certainly no one could look around at these grounds yesterday with the thousands plus people coming to your house, and God, uh, being encouraged, I pray. No one could look at all of those things and not see that your hand of blessing was upon it. I thank you for protecting us. I thank you for providing for us. I thank you for keeping us safe yesterday. I thank you for, for the most part, keeping our attitudes in a way that brings you and brought you glory and honor. God, I thank you for these things because you are worthy of them. Father, we love you. I look forward today what you're going to do in our hearts And certainly, Father, I ask that you would bless above and beyond what we could even imagine today. Father, please comfort the people today. Restore their energy. Restore those that need health relief. God, provide where provision is needed. And God, will be careful to give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' precious name. And for his sake, we pray it all. Amen and amen. I'm not sure if anybody has noticed, you look at my title, and certainly this is no political stump speech. I'm not a politician, don't desire to be a politician. Uh, But you see the U.S. Capitol building with the clouds gathered around it, and I'm not sure if you've noticed over the past many years, but I have, and even so more recently. But we're in the midst of a great storm. And this storm, I'm afraid, has been brewing for quite some time and continues to gain strength. All you need to do is look around and see that this storm is gaining strength day by day, minute by minute. And certainly, when we talk about storms, storms are nothing new, right? We have all faced storms in our life, whether they be weather-related, whether they be spiritually-related, whether they be physically-related. We all face storms. That is a certainty of life and Storms have been and will continue to be a part of our everyday life. In fact, who knows? We may come off of the heels of a 74 degree yesterday, an 82 degree day today, and who knows? I haven't checked the weather forecast. Maybe there's a storm brewing right now that may be heading our way. But the question is not whether storms come, because certainly they do, and I believe we're in the midst of a great storm. The question is not whether they come. The question is, How do we deal with storms, whether they be spiritually related, weather related, and on and on? How do we actually deal with storms? 
I think about how God created in the beginning. And the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he creates man. And what a beautiful thing. He blesses man. Yes, he blessed man when he brought woman to man. He looked at man and he said, buddy, you ain't got no hope. He said, he said, go to sleep. And when he put man to sleep, the Bible says he opened up the flesh and took the ribs there and he formed woman and brought her unto man. And boy, can you imagine when Adam woke up? Man, wouldn't that have been cool? What in the world happened? God says, I'm going to bless you, buddy, because you need help. <laughs> and he blesses Adam with Eve, and, or God places Adam and Eve in this beautiful, picturesque garden. And he says, here's your job. I just want you to tend it. I want you to do these things. And there's only one thing that I don't want you to do. I don't want you to disobey what I'm telling you to do right now. But if we take a look in Genesis chapter 3, that's all taking place in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But if we start looking in Genesis chapter 3 and following, what we see is that after everything that seemed so great was put together, things start to begin to kind of spiral out of control, if you please. After Adam and Eve fall, after the serpent is condemned and made to crawl on his belly, after judgment is pronounced and made, and, and, uh, judgment is pronounced to the real first family, after the Lord provides that coat of skin to cover. You remember why he provided the coat of skins? He provided that to cover Adam and Eve's sinfulness. After he provides that coat of skins, after their son Cain's offering is rejected, after Cain kills his brother, after Cain is punished, after Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. After five generations have passed, if you notice in the middle of chapter 4, you start to see that Cain, he goes out from the presence of the Lord and what you see is generation 1, generation 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so you see these generations pass and then after these five generations pass, what begins to happen? We have Lamech who comes on the scene and Lamech is the very first polygamist we find in the Bible. Things are spiraling out of control. They're in the midst of a storm even at this time. After Eve gives birth to Seth. You know Seth. Eve considered Seth to be her replacement child. If you notice in scripture, she says he was Abel's replacement. And then after 105 years, Seth is 105 years of age. The Bible says at that time, he begets Enos. And notice what the Bible says at the end of chapter 4. The Bible says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. And then at the last part of verse number 26, it's in your bulletin, it says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the very first mention of prayer in Scripture. Just notice how long it took. I mean, how much does man have to go through? How many years have to pass before we actually see a reference to prayer in Scripture? And this is what we have in the Bible. We see that this is the very first. God's Word declares that men and women, in a larger sense, begin to pray. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord at the end of chapter 4. What's crazy is that timeline that I just read to us and reminded us of. 
that these generations after generations and after generations, and I said five generations for Lamech, but I also said after Seth was born, there was another 105 years, I'm guessing a few generations passed there too. Enos is born, and then the Bible says, go figure. Then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. After all these things, after God had created this beautiful heaven and the earth, after God had created man, after he blesses him with woman, he brings him into the Garden of Eden, he provides, provides, provides. Man falls, and you know the rest of the story because I just chronicled it for you. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Wow. The Bible has a great deal, folks, to say about prayer. In fact, there are over... 250 recorded prayers in Scripture, in God's Word, and nearly 7,000 promises in reference to prayer. Prayers coming from individuals, from prophets, priests, and kings. And even, yes, even we have prayers recorded from the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Prayer is a wonderful gift of God. James tells us in James chapter 5, verse 15, the prayer, that the prayer of faith will save the sick. Uh, save the sick. In verse 16, he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. This is a verse that we can all memorize, by the way. A lot of people say, I, I don't get into memorizing scripture verses. You can actually memorize this one with pretty great ease. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, pray without some of you have heard it before. Man, you can, you can go in and say, I memorized this verse of scripture today. What was it? Pray without ceasing. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, God word, God's word says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In Ephesians chapter 6, I like this passage, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible reminds us that prayer is a powerful part of the believer's armor as we battle, not the flesh and blood, but as we go to battle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. It tells us that prayer is that key to the armor. See, we put on the armor of God, but then at the end it says, get all dressed up, and then it says, and pray. We must avail ourselves of that weapon in our arsenal of prayer. Oh yes, my friends, as we take steps to survive and succeed in the midst of the storm, we must be people of prayer. Now, I have no intention this morning of trying or even, you know, of attempting to cover everything there is to cover about this idea of prayer. We could not do that in probably a year of sermons. But I do think it's important that we be reminded of a few thoughts. Number one, if you're a note taker, prayer has always been a distinguishing mark of God's people. Let me say that again. Prayer has always been a distinguishing mark of God's people. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 again, we're reminded, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. I think about in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon with God's power has finished building God's temple. You know, the, 
temple that his father starts acquiring all the things uh, to build, rebuild the temple. And Solomon finishes, and during their very first worship service, Jared, I hate to tell you, uh, during their very first worship service, we see uh, the presence and the glory of the Lord so, so overwhelming that the priest, the Bible says in verse number 11 of that chapter, that the priest couldn't even stand because the cloud, it was so thick. The Lord's presence was so thick in that place. They couldn't even stand to do their job. What a scene that must have been on that very first worship service there at the temple and the presence of God is so undeniable. I want to encourage you to read First uh, Kings chapter 8. The presence of God is so undeniable that what we see uh, in this passage, though, is the very first thing that Solomon does. Does anybody know? He prays. It's the first thing he does. It's the first thing he does. He starts praying. And, and listen, his prayers are filled with gratitude and wisdom. But if you go further on in the chapter, down to verse number 41, if you guys will show that, in verse 41, I want you to see what Solomon says in the midst of these prayers. Notice what he says. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. Why would they come out? For thy name's sake, he says to the Lord. Notice what he says. Verse 42, for they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm when he shall come and pray towards this house. Hear thou in heaven it, thy dwelling place, and notice what he says, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for. He says, God, I want them when they come out and they hear of your extended arm, they hear of your blessing, they hear of your power, and they come to your house and they pray, I want you to hear from heaven. And he says, not only am I wanting you to hear their prayers, I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do something about their prayers. Notice he goes on. And do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people, here's the reason. He says, here's the reason, God, this is why I want you to do this that all people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee and do thy people Israel as do thy people Israel and that they may know that this house which i have builded is called by thy name in other words what solomon is saying here is that the foreigners would hear the news about this prayer answering god the same prayer answering god that raised up this temple they're going to hear the news and they're going to say i got to go see this temple. And when they come to the temple, they're going to say, whoa, maybe I ought to actually pray to this prayer answering God as well. And so he says they would come and then they would in turn themselves pray. And in this, he's saying, God, I want you not only to hear them, but God, I want you to answer their prayers from heaven. And the reason I want you to do this is so that they know, so that they experience, and so that they will actually reverence the very same prayer answering God that I do. This was Solomon's prayer at this time. Folks, God uses prayers and answered prayers throughout his word as a vital part of our witness. You know, when we observe the Lord's Supper here, we have a time of testimony. And we have people get up and give testimony and you say, Man, that's, that seems a little old-fashioned. It's because when I hear that God has actually worked in your life, it actually encourages me and continues that same belief that says, if God did it for Francis, he'll do it for me. If God did it for Greg, he'll do it for Barry. And on and on, we could go all the way back. And so that's why God uses not only our prayers, 
But our, the answers, the way he answers our prayers, and people see him answering our prayers. Hey, guys, I got news for you. Just because we pray is not a guarantee that you are going to get everything that you want. I have been asking God to take care of my hearing for a few weeks now. And you know what God has been saying with great regularity? Go to a doctor. And I'm like, huh? I need one of those little cones. What'd you say? What'd you say, Lord? Go to a doctor. Your ear is closed off because you have an ear infection or you have something wrong with your ear. The problem is we don't hear many times the answers that he gives us. Or we're stubborn. We're hard-headed people, aren't we? (laughs) Somebody please help the lady in the back. Oh, guys, God wants us to experience his power But we have to pray. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, Moses is continuing to describe to the children of Israel the things that would distinguish them from every other nation on earth. Notice what he says. For what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them? He says, we're a blessed people. He says, look around at all the other nations. You tell me of a nation that has God like our God. This is what he's saying to them. He says, Notice, he says, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in what things? All things that we call upon him for. See, he was saying the distinguishing mark is our answered prayers. The distinguishing mark is that we actually pray and that God actually answers our prayers. And do you know, my friends, that'll be the same distinguishing mark in my life and in your life. Answered prayers. In 1 Kings chapter 18, I love this story. If you've never read it, man, I want to encourage you. You say, man, you've already encouraged us to read 1 Kings chapter 8. Yeah, go ahead. It won't hurt you. Read chapter 18 too. You go over in chapter 18, you got the prophet Elijah. And Elijah, he's, (laughs) anybody know the story? Gets me excited. He says, let's have a, let's have a kind of a contest. Let's see uh, which God is real. If you read the passage, Elijah's wanting to demonstrate that his God is the only God. And in verse 24, he tells the people, he says, And call ye on the name of your gods, little g. Notice that, little g. He says, And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people, notice, notice, here's the response. They're like, hey, this sounds reasonable. All the people answered and said, it is well spoken. In essence, the God who answers prayer, let him be God. It sounds reasonable to them, so they agree. But the bottom line, or as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story, page two, is that only one God answered, and that was the Lord God Jehovah. He was the only one that answered. In fact, Elijah didn't do him any favors, did he? He wets everything down. And he says, we're going to prove whose God is God. He said, let me douse a bunch of water. Let me, let me make it, you know, it's almost, I feel like it was kind of like teen camp. They're like, let's, let's see who's going to do what up in here. And he wets everything down. 
And the power of God just licked up all that water and said, I'm in charge. See, that's a distinguishing mark of God's people when we pray. Because if you read the rest of the story and we don't have time, he calls upon the name of the Lord. He says, God, now you show yourself strong. You do what you can only do, God. And that's exactly what took place. Jared, I hate to tell you, and I tell myself the same thing. It wasn't great music. It wasn't great preaching. It wasn't even great giving that made the difference. No, it was a great God who hears who heard and answered the prayers of his servant Elijah. And that's what will make the same difference in our lives today. In his book, The Necessity of Prayer, a man who taught and preached a lot about prayers, E.M. Bounds, he writes these words. He says, without prayer, a church is like a body without spirit. It is dead. It is is an inanimate thing. A church with prayer in it actually has God in it. When prayer is set aside... God is outlawed, and when prayer becomes an unfamiliar exercise, he said these words, then God himself becomes a stranger there. Oh God, help us to remember that prayer is a distinguishing mark of God's people. Number two, prayer was a key. It was a key, not the only key, but it was a key that unlocked God's power in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, notice what the Bible says in verse 42 and following. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines or teaching and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. What do you think they did at the temple? Anybody? I'm guessing they had some good old-fashioned prayer going on. And daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such as should be saved. These were people that had a big vision. These were people that witnessed everywhere they went. These were people that were actually filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They allowed the Spirit of God not to only indwell them, but to fill them and use them in their lives. Because of their faith, I must report to you that these people also face persecution. But these people were praying people. They believed in prayer. They practiced prayer. In fact, their progress as an early church movement depended on prayer. I like what Martin Luther... By the way, last week, I hope you didn't go out of here and misconstrue what I said. I did not preach last week. While I'm mentioning Martin Luther, I want to let everybody know. I did not... My message last week was not that only Baptists get it right. When I said this church looks to its founder, this church looks to its founder... I said that believers, Christians, yes, and typically Baptists have been people of the book. But it doesn't matter what label you put on yourself. The only way you're getting to heaven, the only way that I'm getting to heaven is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I hope you didn't leave out of here. And if all you got was, pastor said only Baptists are right. Well, I had a guy that used to be a professor at Baptist Bible College who told us one time, his name was Eli Haru. Bless his heart, he passed away, I don't know how old, 90, 
92, 92 years old, passed away last year. And he used to tell the guys, he'd say, boys, I got some news for you. There's going to be some Methodists in heaven. <laughs> boys, I got some news for you. There's going to be some Episcopalians up there in heaven. There's going to be some Lutherans up in heaven. There's going to be some Presbyterians in heaven. And, yep, there might even be some Catholics up in heaven. He said, but why not go first class? Be a Baptist. (laughs) Oh, man, that guy. Brother Hardy used to come to our church where I was the associate pastor on Sunday nights. He used to make the rounds around Springfield, Missouri, because his church where he attended, they didn't have an evening service. And that man wanted to be around the Word of God. And so he and his wife, they they would do the rotation of all the other churches in Springfield, Missouri that had, uh, that had Sunday evening services. So about every six to eight weeks, Brother Har, you'd be out there. Man, I used to hate if I was preaching. Cause you know, that guy, he's, he's like checking every little jot and tittle. He's like, well, I noticed you said, thank you, Brother Har, you bless, bless your heart, you know. But, uh, he's a great old warrior for the cause of Christ. Listen, he believed in prayer as well. I like what Martin Luther said. When he stated this, he said, to be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Yeah, let that settle. (laughs) In Matthew chapter 7, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, during his Sermon on the Mount, he said these words. He said, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Listen, prayer is one of the keys that invite God's power into our lives, into our lives, into our situations, into our sickness. Whatever it is that we are in need of, God, we need your prayer, we need your power. And the way that we access it is through prayer. The Apostle Paul I guess he obviously believed in prayer too because if you look at the New Testament, when Paul writes to the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, when he writes to Philippi, the church at Colossus, the church at Thessalonica, every time he's writing to these churches, he tells them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I cease not to make mention of you in my prayers. This is a man who believed in the power of prayer. Oh, and not that we needed it, not that we needed it, but we'll have some good news for you. We, uh, seriously, smile. Everybody smile for just a second. It would be like a miracle. I want to see if we could get a miracle. Could everybody smile? I'm just going to go across. Thank you for not smiling, young lady. I'm going to come down there and, yeah, whatever. Oh, he, he, he's angry. <laughs> I got some good news for you today. Because uh, we have good news about prayer from an unlikely source. Not that I actually need it, but the medical community actually agrees with me when it comes to prayer. Who works in the medical community here today? Raise your hand. I know we have some. Don't be shy. I was waiting for you to raise your hand. Someone else. Raise your hand like you're proud. Okay? We have, everybody's like, what's he going to say? I don't know if I want to raise my hand. I'm afraid. Is it lunchtime yet? <laughs> oh, man, we got some good news. Notice what the medical community says. In March of 2015, by the way, I'm not pulling an article from 20 years ago. 
In March of 2015, Newsmax Health published an article entitled, Science Proves... Are you serious? Science Proves the Healing Power of Prayer. In their article, they said this, For the devout, there has never been any question that prayer has the power to heal. Now more and more medical research from leading hospitals and universities across the United States has shown conclusively, I like these words they use, conclusively, that a belief in God is really is a good thing for you, making you healthier and happier and helping you live longer. Surprise, surprise. Dr. Harold Koenig from Duke University said these words. He said, studies have shown that prayer can prevent people from getting sick. And when they do get sick, prayer can actually help them to feel better faster. An exhaustive analysis of more than 1,500 reputable medical studies indicates that people who are more religious and pray more often have better medical, uh, better mental and physical health. In fact, out of the 125 studies that looked at the link between health and regular worship, Watch this. 85 of those studies showed that regular churchgoers live longer. Let me just stop here for a minute. I love that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's going in there, baby. So essentially, the medical community is saying, just come to church and you'll actually live longer and you'll be happier and healthier. Go figure. Hold on a second. Let's keep on going. Dr. Koenig went on to report that the Southern Medical Journal, a trusted journal, I'm sure, demonstrated that prayer has a remarkable effect on patients, and they showed significant improvements. He added that the benefits of devoted religious practice, particularly involvement in a faith community with religious commitment, are that people cope better with stress and experience greater well-being because they have more hope, they are more optimistic, they experience less depression and less anxiety, and they have stronger immune systems and lower blood pressure. Hey, you want to lower your blood pressure? Pray. You want to strengthen your immune system? Pray. Tom Knox, a one-time atheist, now believer of Jesus Christ and worshiper, said, the proof of the power of prayer is overwhelming. He stated that over the past 30 years, a growing and largely unnoticed body of scientific work actually shows that having faith in God is medically, socially, and psychologically beneficial. How amazing is that? The medical community is medical community is lining up and agreeing with what God's word has said all the time. Prayer was a key that unlocked the power in the early church. E.M. Bounds, who I quoted earlier, you say, please don't quote E.M. Bounds the whole message. Well, if you read his books on prayer, you would know he is uh, someone who has a lot of knowledge about this topic of prayer. He said these words. He said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. And yet in these days, the world and many lives seem to be worse off now more than ever. Even in the church, we seem to be experiencing less power. We seem to be running short on power. And I had to ask myself this question the other day. Why? Why are we running low on power? Is there something wrong with God's ability have we reached, have we reached the, the pinnacle of God's ability? I say no. I say no. Listen, his hand, he's not hard of hearing like me. His arm has not been shortened. 
It's our sin that keeps us separated from him. But I believe one of the reasons we're experiencing lack of power in our lives and the reason we're experiencing a lack of power in our church is due to one reason and one reason only. Prayerlessness. We don't pray. We talk about it. We teach about it. We sing about it. We're in love with the idea of it. But we just don't pray. I like what one commentator said when he proclaimed these words. He says, we don't pray because we didn't pray. Now think about that for a second. He says, we don't pray because we didn't pray. Now what he was alluding to was the reason we don't pray today is because we didn't pray in the past and so it's something different for us. But what he's further, his, his thoughts were this. That for me to pray, if I hadn't prayed, I would have to get on bended knee And I would first have to confess my sin to God in not praying. And because I don't want to acknowledge to God that I was wrong in not praying before, we just don't pray. We don't pray because we didn't pray. I like that. I thought that was good. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, a prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. The neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. I think about that early church in Acts 4, 31. The Bible tells us that when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. You notice it wasn't until they actually prayed that the power came down. The prayer and the praises went up. It's like that song. My wife's smiling because I love that song. When the praises go up, the power comes down. The Holy Ghost of heaven is all around. Those are the lyrics of a song I used to love to sing years and years ago. Oh, listen, the power came when they prayed. As powerful as God is, I got some bad news for you and for me too. As powerful as he is, He cannot answer prayers until they're actually prayed. Well, he knows what's in my heart. Yeah, he does. He's waiting for us to acknowledge what's in our heart and to call on him so that he can answer us and show us great and mighty things which we know us not. He wants us to communicate with him. Listen, folks, prayer will never be learned in a classroom. It'll be learned in a closet. I always tell people, they say, Pastor, I need to pray you know, I need, I need the answers to this. And I always say, go into your closet and pray. And sometimes people look at me kind of strange. They say, what do you, what, what do you say? I said, well, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you pray, don't do it as the hypocrites do because they stand up in front of everybody so that they can be seen of men. He says, no, when you pray, actually go into your closet and pray. And when you pray in secret, I'll hear thee in secret and then I'll reward you openly. And the reason he rewards us openly is so that everybody else can see that he did it, not us. He gets the glory. He gets the honor and the praise for it. Number three, and lastly, prayer has been central to every great move of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, or 11, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at at verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. A very familiar verse. But I want to conclude our message with with this kind of line of thinking. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, 
But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The writer of Hebrews is saying that without faith we have no possibility, number one, of pleasing God. Number two, he's saying that there is another belief that's necessary in the life of a Christian, and that's the belief, not only do we believe that he is God, but that we believe that when we go to him, he'll actually hear us and he'll actually answer us and that he is the one who's able to do that. See, because if I don't believe that God is able to hear my prayers and answer my prayers, I got news for you. I ain't gonna pray. And neither are you. If you say, I don't, I'm not real sure if God can answer this prayer, I can guarantee you, you're not gonna pray. You'll say, I'm not sure he can do it, so why pray? I'll just try and take care of this thing on my own. Isn't that what we typically do? God's too busy. He's too busy to hear my prayer. I got news for you. I use this analogy in our Bible study class. You ever seen those guys that can juggle like seven or eight of those like upside down uh, bowling pins? They seem to do it with great ease. And they're not God. I'm pretty sure that God doesn't need a computer like Bruce Almighty did. I'm pretty sure he doesn't. I'm pretty sure that he's probably like, yep, I hear you, yep, I hear you. I told you to go see a doctor, Pastor Greg, but you won't listen to me. See, I can, I can poke fun at myself because I, I would never point the finger at anybody else. But see, I wonder, oh, God, I can't hear, oh, oh my, my knee, I can't, I can't. Go to a doctor! That's why I gave them wisdom. That's why I've given you the ability to get healing from doctors. By the way, the medical symbol is a really great thing. You know, it's got the serpent on the, on the staff. Anybody know where that came from? You go back to the book of Numbers. As the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Oh, my goodness. People get physical healing back in Numbers when they looked at the serpent. On a rod. Guys, there's more of the Bible in our society than we give credit to. Prayer has been central in every great move of God. The writer of Hebrews is saying there's another belief that's necessary in the life of a Christian that God will hear and that he will answer. And number three, he's saying that our focus should never be on our desire to receive something because see, it says, uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The goal is not the reward. The goal is the acknowledgement that he is the one who can give the reward. That's the goal. And when we set that as our primary focus, listen, he's going to hear and answer prayers. I ask the question, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, is, is he still on his throne? Hold on, let me ask again. Is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph still on his throne? Do we believe that? Do we believe the book? Why isn't prayer regular? Why isn't prayer a regular occurrence in our lives? There can only be one reason. There can only be one reason for our prayerlessness. And I have to direct you to the screen, to Matthew chapter 17. Here's the reason. Here's the reason. In verse number 14, the Bible says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, Have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft 
into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples. I brought him to your followers. I brought him to your students. I brought him to the ones that you have been training. And they could not cure him. Then Jesus had answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I suffer you? Bring him thither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Why could we not do this? Notice what Jesus says in verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. Because you do not believe. Notice what he says, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, if I connect the dots, and I did it in Bible study, will not take time, I encourage you to go look at it, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and then there's another thing that God says, and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. And I'll start to show up and do some things. See, the writer of Hebrews says that we must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them, notice these words, of them that diligently seek him. Prayer. You want to come out of the storm? I do. I don't even want to get started this morning. I started weeping almost uncontrollably in our Bible study because my prayer right now is God, have mercy on us. God, I know, I know that we are reaping what we have sown, but God, would you please, would you please show mercy on us? God, would you please, would you please be gracious to us? Would you make your face to shine on us one more time? God, would you give us another chance? God, I'm a sinful man, but would you allow me to confess those sins to you? God, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you heal me? Would you do something so, so miraculous that people wouldn't be able to understand it worldwide? That people would see it. Because I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I'm living in that Sodom and Gomorrah day. I'm a real afraid that God is going to say, get out. Get out of this city. And he's going to say to me and every one of us, don't you look back. Don't you look back. You just keep on going. You don't keep on going. Because you know what happens when you look back? One, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And two, you may be turned into a pillar of salt. You say, man, that's a little extreme. I mean, it's 2016. That's exactly why we're in the shape that we're in. The world, the flesh, and the devil has fooled us one and all. It's like I said to our Bible study. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Like the songs of a mother and father trying to put their baby to sleep. We have been lulled to sleep so that we don't pray. We don't pray, and the reason we don't pray is because we didn't pray. And we don't pray because we don't believe God will answer us.
I'm here to tell you, he has answered me more times than I can shake a stick at. He hears my prayers and he answers them. And he'll hear your prayer. Robert McShane, Murray McShane said this. This is amazing. He said, what a man is on his knees before God is what he is and nothing more. Let that sink in. What a man is on his knees before God is what he is and nothing more. Folks, soon and soon all the titles will be taken away. Some of you call me Greg. Some of you call me Pastor. Some of you call me Pastor Greg. My wife calls me Babe. Soon and very soon, none of that will matter. If you're a Christian, I ask you this morning to remember prayer is a distinguishing mark of God's people and to rejoice in the fact that God's power can and will be unleashed in our lives when we pray and to recognize that God has always and always will move when prayer is lifted up because that is the vehicle that moves the heart of God. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I've never prayed. I, I, I don't know about this idea of prayer. I don't even know much about Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning. If you have never prayed to ask God to forgive you of your sins, do that today. If you've never prayed to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to forgive you, but to come into your life and to begin to change you from the inside out, I beg you to pray and simply ask that. That's all. Don't, don't, don't get complicated with it. God, forgive me. God, come into my life and change me. And then number three, God, start to do a work in my life so that my family might see there's something different in me. God, help me to be sweeter to my wife. Help me to be sweeter to my husband. Help me, help me, help me, God, to to bring you honor, to bring you glory. And I can tell you, he'll do it. He'll do it. He did the same exact same thing for me as a 13-year-old boy years ago when I called out on the name of the Lord. He did the same exact thing in Seamus' life, in Gavin's life, in Morgan's life. And he'll do it for you because he is also a God of love. He wants us to pray so that he can answer our prayers. Will you join me in prayer right now? Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.